Growing up in church, I got so caught up in just going through the motions. I was lost. I need you to save me. I was depressed, anxious. And the only thing I could think of was, why is this happening? I was really lost. I wasn't sure if the fear would envelop me. I faced fear when I was diagnosed with cancer and went through surgery and radiation. I just didn't feel like I deserved to have hope and joy in my life anymore. I was an alcoholic and I was severely overweight. I believed what had never truly received. I accepted Jesus into my life again. He cared enough for me to bring restoration. Because of Jesus, we are thriving. He equipped me and readied me for His purpose. Overwhelming joy flooded my soul immediately. And I was seeing the world around me for the first time. He met me where I was, and He brought me back home to the church. To extend my hands and receive for the very first time. And carried me through that season of loss and grief. And He can do the same for you. Christianity is about a relationship, not about religion. This is my story. 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 For God's glory. For God's glory. God's glory. For God's glory. For God's glory. For God's glory. Yeah, come on. Man, isn't that amazing to see people testifying of God's hand on their life and their faith and God's faithfulness to them? even though we've been through some things. Did you know that Revelation 12 verse 11 says this, that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Your testimony is a powerful force to be reckoned with. You need to know it and own it. And here's the thing I wanna encourage you with today. Maybe God's still writing your testimony. Maybe God's still writing your story. And I wanna continue in our series, My Story, God's Glory. And I want to encourage you with this truth that God is indeed writing a story in your life. And as we're digging into the Bible and revisiting some of these amazing stories that are captured in the Bible, I've encouraged you with this kind of profound reminder. The people of the Bible did not know that their story, their life story, was being captured for the account that we would now read the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end through the Bible. And the same is true for you. God is writing a story that, that at the end of it all, there's inevitably going to be some good days and some bad days. The Bible doesn't shrink away from it, doesn't shy away from it. You can't open the book to almost any book or page and not find some person, some man, some woman, some young person who was not faithfully attempting to serve out God's purpose for their life, but ran into some difficult days, some unexpected, unforeseen, painful moments, I appreciate that the Bible doesn't shy away from it. But what the Bible does show us, and Jesus said it, he said, you'll have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And what we see is that if we'll continue to be faithful, to do our part, to keep our eyes focused on him, to present those things before him, to look to him, to trust in him, and to invite him, and it's what I'm, I'm really encouraging you to do through this series, invite God in an intentional way with this invitation. God, would you come, regardless of what, what I find myself standing in or going through today, regardless of whether I'm in a good chapter of the story or I'm in a difficult, painful, unforeseen, unexpected chapter, God, would you come and would you put your hand on my hand that is holding the pen that is writing the story of my life? so that at the end of it all, my story really does present and point to your glory. Encourage us that really that ought to be what 
one of our highest goals and our highest aims. There's a lot of things that we can endeavor to do. There's a lot of good things we can endeavor to do, but what if we just own and said, you know what, I wanna think ahead a little bit to what people are gonna say when they look back at my life, when they remember the way I made them feel, when they remember the impact that I made, when they remember the way that I served them or helped them or was a blessing to them. And I don't know about you, but I hope that when people look back at my life, and, and I don't want to be too morbid, but that day's coming for you and I both. There's a day coming where life on this side of eternity, and I'm grateful for eternal life through Jesus Christ. But there's a moment coming where life on this side of eternity will, will run its course, and people will gather around, and they'll talk about the stories of your life. What will they say? And will Jesus be the hero of that story? Will people think about your life, the way you, you love them and cared for them and helped them and served them? And will they say, I always felt the love of Jesus through him or through her, or through mom or through dad, through grandma or through gran grandma or, or, or whatever it is that they call you. And here's what I want to encourage you with today. If maybe today you would say, I'm not sure, Pastor T, I'm not sure that Jesus is the hero of my story. Maybe I've been living for my, my own devices or my own fame or my own status or my own comfort. I'm telling you today, it's never too late to say yes to serving Jesus and serving God and serving others in his name. And today, you can begin to say, I can't control the chapters that have already been written in my story. I can't even control to a big degree where I'm at today. But I can control, I do have a part, I have something to say about what the next chapter and what the final chapters are going to look like. And I don't know what it's going to look like or how it's going to go, but I can invite and involve God to be part of the next chapter of my story. And that's what we're talking about through this series. Regardless of where you're at, God's not done with you. And the enemy likes to come and he likes to catch you in a difficult chapter of your story, maybe a real moment of regret or pain or shame or sin or error. And he likes to come and take a Polaroid snapshot of that moment, that chapter. And he likes to cause the book to be closed in that moment. And he likes to hold that thing up and say, this is all that your life is ever going to be or amount to or account for. And I'm telling you that God wants to continue writing the story. Don't allow the enemy to come and put a period where God intended to only put a comma. Let him keep writing the story. Let him keep turning the page of your marriage. Let him keep turning the page and write a new chapter in your family. It might look one way today, but I'm telling you, there's a day coming where it could look completely differently if you'll invite God to come and put his hand on the pen that's writing the story of your life. All right, did I tell you to turn to Exodus chapter 3? If I didn't, turn or click to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to shift. We've been visiting the story of David's life, the ups and the downs, the way that God called him out of kind of some hidden, un unseen places and delivered him to the promise and the potential and the destiny that he had set, apart, set him apart for. Now we're going to go back in the story a little bit to Moses. And, and here's what we'll find is that if you look back a couple chapters before, and I'll paraphrase it and kind of surmise it a little bit for time's sake, and then we'll jump into chapter 3 and a little bit of chapter 4. But if you read through chapter 1 and 2, what you'll discover is that a new Pharaoh has arisen who does not know, remember, or appreciate Joseph. 
And Joseph was an Israeli boy who was betrayed and sold into slavery and went through some things as God was delivering him into the place of promise. He went through the pit and he went he, and eventually arrived in the palace and the favor of God rested upon his life and eventually he became Pharaoh's number two guy and he was used mightily of God to bring protection and provision not just for the nation of Egypt but all the surrounding nations and eventually there was a great restoration and reconciliation with the very family that had betrayed him and sold him into slavery and the Bible says that a new Pharaoh had arisen who has forgotten about the impact that Joseph had had on the nation of Egypt and it says that this Pharaoh began to operate in a spirit of fear and self-preservation which is never the spirit you want to be operating in and it says that he looked up and he said the people of God the people of Israel they're becoming too numerous they're becoming too prosperous and if one day they decide to turn against us we are not enough to, to outmatch them and he said let's begin to make things difficult for them let's begin to put them in hard bondage and slavery to try to oppress them and keep them down but nothing could keep them down because the blessing of Abraham was operating and the favor of God was resting upon their life and did you know that that very same blessing is now yours according to the book of Galatians through Jesus Christ the favor of God. People can try to put you down. People can try to keep you down. People could try to marginalize you. But I'm telling you, if you keep looking and trusting and serving and, and growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessing of God can overtake and overcome and outlast and, and outdo all the things that the people of the world can try to do to keep you down. That's good news. Someone ought to say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. So this new Pharaoh has arisen and he's put the people in heavy bondage and he's putting them in oppression, yet they still continue to prosper and increase. And so he says, I got to come up with another plan. I got to devise another strategy. And he says, now we're going to begin to kill and murder the Israeli baby boys. And if you remember, we talked about how the life and ministry of David was a foreshadowing and a foretelling of the life and ministry of Jesus. If you missed the message, go back and listen to it. But here's a way where the ministry of Moses was a foreshadowing and a foretelling of the ministry and the life of Jesus. Because if you remember, the same thing happened when Jesus was being sent into the earth to become the Messiah, the rescuer, our Savior, Lord and King, the one who would deliver us. You remember King Herod went and he said, have all the baby boys killed. And in this season, in the book of Exodus, the Pharaoh says, let's kill all the baby boys. And can I just say something? At the risk of being political, but I'm not making a political statement, I believe I'm making a biblical statement because the Bible says that in your mother's womb, he formed you and he knew you and he knit you together and created you for a purpose. And before you even came out of that womb, he knew something that he had created you for and called you for. As the people of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, we ought to be a pro-life people. And is it possible? So I want you to think about this in a strategic season where God was doing something, where God was bringing about someone who would step onto the, the, the scene of the world and bring about de deliverance and rescuing of his people. The, the spirit of the culture began to kill babies. And then fast forward a few thousand years later when, the, when God was sending Jesus, the spirit of the culture began to kill babies. And isn't it possible that as we've looked and we've seen that begin to happen in our culture, it's just a recent thing in the last 60 years or so, that maybe it's because there's a generation that's being born who are going to be forerunners for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan looks down and he says, we got to take some of these kids out. But God is going to still see it come to pass. 
So Moses has already been through some things. I mean, can you imagine the trauma? And, and can you imagine all the things that were introduced through that trauma of being born a Hebrew, but then being raised in the house of Pharaoh because he's been put out on that Nile River and a Pharaoh's daughter has found him and taken him into her own house to raise him. But did you catch part of the story? If you go back and read it, they actually sent for a Hebrew girl to come and to nurse Moses until the point where he was weaned and able to become a part of Pharaoh's house. And if you go read the story, God handpicked Moses' very own birth mom. That's pretty amazing. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God good? And so Moses has been through some things, and we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. He's been through abandonment. He's been through the trauma of not knowing who I am and where I came from and where do I belong and what's God going to do in my life and what's he doing. And he's even made the worst mistake of his life. We'll touch on it here in a little bit, the worst mistake of his life. You might even read about it and say that maybe you might even have a doubt about whether God could use someone who did what Moses did. Verse 1, it says, chapter 3, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, if you've seen the movie, you have kind of got a picture of this in your mind, and you see Charlton Heston over here looking tan and buff, you know, and you see the burning bush happening over here. But this, let's dig in and not miss something that God wants to, to show us out of Moses' story that can help us in our story. And, and I want you to catch this. You could read over this, but watch this. It says that he, he looked, Moses looked, and he beheld that the bush was burning yet not consumed. And watch in verse 3, it says that Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. And, and, and I just think that there's something there that we need to, to mark and not miss. And that is that when God comes and tries to get your attention, are you going to turn? And are you going to look? Because is it possible that maybe there were even some other people who had had the experience with the burning bush? I mean, I don't want to take too many privileges here with the story, but is it possible that maybe there had been some other people who had the opportunity to look at the burning bush, but they were too preoccupied with what they thought that they needed to do to be welcomed or valued or esteemed or appreciated in the culture of the day? And so they just kept doing, they couldn't, they couldn't bring themselves to slow down a little bit and just kind of turn and just look at what God was doing in their life. Because watch, watch what it says. It, it, it says very clearly that, that when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, he called out to him. He called out to him. Moses turned aside. In the Old Testament, the word that is used for repent is to turn. And in the New Testament, the word that is used, the Greek word that's used for repent is the word to change, as in to change your mind or to change the way that you live. 
And is it possible that part of the ways or one of the ways that God is most likely to get the glory in our story when we go through a difficult thing, when we make a mistake, when we miss the mark, is our willingness to see that God is present in that situation and become willing to turn away from something and turn to a God who offers real forgiveness and a real chance at redemption, a real second start. It said that he turned from some things. Maybe today you would recognize and realize that there's something in your life that God is calling you to turn from. And what you turn from is important, but don't miss this. What you turn to also matters. And he's calling you. He's calling you. He's inviting you. We have not done anyone any favors by making repentance an uncomfortable word in the New Testament church. It was the message of Jesus when he said in Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, from that time on, from that day on, Jesus began to preach, repent, which if you understand, it just means begin to see and think and live differently. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. It says from that time on, and as far as I know, Jesus has never stopped. And he's still saying, come out of that life. Come out of that place of bondage. Come out of that place where you think one way about the world and you think one way about who God is and you think one way about who you are in him. Come out of that place and begin to think and live differently. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is here and that's the invitation. God is not a prude and he's not trying to get you under some heavy set of rules and regulations. He's saying I'm inviting you out of a place of darkness. I'm inviting you out of a place of bondage. I'm inviting you out of a place of religious legalism and I'm inviting you to a kingdom of God which later on in the New Testament would be described as this. The kingdom of God is not rules and regulations. What you eat and what you drink and what you wear. Those things mattered in the old covenant, but now you're under a new and better covenant. The kingdom of God is now. You remember the three things that the Bible described it as being righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but if God, if Jesus is saying, think differently, live differently, Turn aside from some things and turn to me, and when you do, you'll discover a kingdom that I've made you a part of where you understand what righteousness really is. It's not what you can do to be approved by God. It's the blood of Jesus making you clean and putting you into right standing and relationship with me, and it's joy and the fullness of joy, and it's a joy that's abiding. It's a joy that's not circumstantial. It's a joy that can't be stolen. It's a joy that you have in the sorrow. It's a joy that you have in the pain because you know that I'm with you, and you know that I've saved you, and you know that that I've never left you. And there's a peace that comes into your life as part of being a part of the kingdom of God, a peace that transcends understanding, which means you might look around and see that things look one way in the world today with the wars and rumors of wars, but there's peace in your heart because you know that God is with you and he really is what we sing about today. He's your firm foundation. Moses turned. He looked. He beheld What's God calling you to today? What's he, what's he calling you from? And, and, and are you willing to give him your attention today? And, and on the other side of that, is it just possible that there's a man of God? Is it possible that there's a marriage and a family? 
Is it possible that there's a place of, of quiet confidence and security in Christ on the other side of giving God your full attention today? And would you, would you look and would you turn? And it says when God saw that he turned to him, he called out to him. And reading on in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord said, speaking to Moses, he said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up. He, he, he said, I'm, I'm coming down to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Mosquito Bites. <laughs> Don't miss this. This is a very painful, difficult, unforeseen, unexpected chapter in the life of the Hebrew people and the life of the Israeli people. And don't miss this. You're going to go through, you're going to find yourself in some of those places, but don't miss this. Watch. It says, God said, I have seen. He says, I have heard their cry. He said, I know their sufferings. He's seen and he's heard. Listen, if you're going through something today, is he seeing and is he hearing you? Or have you maybe grown weary of doing good and forgot about what it means to take the time to cry out to God? And once again, the reminder of God today is to once again be seen and be heard in his presence. Be seen and be heard upon your knees in prayer. Be seen and be heard praising and worshiping, trusting him, expressing your trust in him even though you're going through a difficult season. It says that God, God saw and God heard and in this season, maybe God's calling you back to that place where you once again discover your voice in prayer for, for your health or in prayer for your marriage or in prayer for your family, in prayer for your finances, in prayer for the debt that needs to be paid, in prayer. God sees and God hears. And he says, I know their sufferings. And did you know that we serve a God who the Bible says became familiar with every temptation and every suffering that's common to man? He says, I know what it feels like to be abused. I know what it feels like to be rejected. I know what it feels like to be belittled because he came and he was all of those things. And he says, and I, I, I know the sufferings and I've come down to deliver them. I, he cares enough to come. He, he cared enough to get right into the middle of, of your, the difficult chapter of your life. He, he wasn't waiting over here in the good chapter of your life. He, he said, I see, I hear, I know, I care, and I'm coming to you. And I'm sending Jesus to you. And, 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 and my love is not going to be some far off religious love. My love is going to come right into the difficult chapters of your life that maybe are still being written. And I'm going to stoop down and I'm going to take a, the, the lowly, humble position of a servant. And I'm going to become just like you. And I'm going to experience the pain of a fallen world. Yet I'm not going to sin so that I can be the one to pay the price and make the way for you to be restored and rescued out of it to a relationship that transcends religion. He sees, he hears, he knows, he cares, he came, he saves. And he said, I've come down to do all those things. But watch what he says in verse 10. He says, I, I'm, I'm coming to deliver them. And not just to deliver them or bring their account to a zero balance, but I'm taking them to a big and broad, a wide land, a good land, a place flowing with milk and honey. 
And he says, I'm coming to do that. But verse 10, he says, come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh. And it didn't have to be this way, and it kind of blows your mind sometimes when you allow yourself to think about it, but it's true all throughout the Bible, and it's still true for you when God wants to do something supernatural, when God wants to reach a co-worker, when God wants to build a church, when God wants to establish a ministry, when God wants to go and feed hungry people, when God wants to go and help rebuild a war-torn country, when God wants to do all those things, he could snap his fingers and he could do it in his own strength, but inevitably he looks for a person. And he said, I'm coming and I'm doing it because I've seen, I've heard, I care, I know, I want to come. I'm going to save and I'm going to deliver them and restore them. But he said, I'm sending you, Moses. Where is he sending you? Where has he already sent you? Where you're the salt, you're the light, you're the hands, you're the feet. Because is it possible that maybe we would discover freedom from some of the difficult chapters of our life if we would understand and embrace what the Bible says and we would not shy away or shrink back from maybe stepping on people's toes to challenge them that they, if they're going to be a Christ follower, they're going to have to give their life away in the servanthood of others. And he said, I'm sending you, Moses. Where has he sent you? Who are the people? Where are the coworkers? Who are the, who are the, the students? Who are the teachers? Who are the teachers? What are the teammates who they're not going to hear or know or see about a God who cares and loves and saves if you are not willing to recognize that God has sent you? He didn't just save you to get you to heaven. And come on, I'm grateful for heaven. But it, the Bible says real clear that he created you anew in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 8 or 2 verse 10, so that you can do good things he planned for you a long time ago. Who's he sending it to you? He's going to save them, but you're going to tell them. He's going to say, he's going to help them, you're going to serve them. And reading on verse 11, it said, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And I don't know about you, but I think that this is probably one of the most common things that you and I are going to have to overcome and defeat if we're going to discover and fulfill the purpose and the destiny that God has called and created and formed and is fashioning us to accomplish. And it's the spirit of inferiority and insignificance. It's the spirit of guilt. It's a spirit of shame. It's a spirit of condemnation. And God comes and says, Moses, I'm going to come and do this, but I'm sending you to be the one that's going to be used of me to do it. And the first response of Moses was, but who am I? Am I? And is it possible that what was reverberating in Moses' spirit was the reality of what he knew that he had done that I alluded to earlier when several years earlier he had seen the oppression of the people, but he wasn't yet spiritually mature enough to understand that there was a spiritual solution to a natural problem and he rose up in his own anger and his own tenacity and it says that he put his hands on an Egyptian man who was violating and oppressing and 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 coming against a, a Hebrew person and it said he murdered him and he buried his body in the sand and is it possible that as God is now coming as Moses has gone through a season of refining and preparation and restoration a wilderness season which is also a type and foreshadowing of Jesus's ministry is it possible that he was right in that moment the enemy was bringing him back to that moment where he had taken that that piece of wood or that staff that stick that once he, that later on in the story he'll use to to set the people free and he had taken that thing and he had clubbed the Egyptian over the head he had lost his cool. 
He had blown it. He had missed the mark. He had sinned. And is it possible that the enemy is doing the same thing to Moses that he does to you and me? If they really knew what you had done, said, or who you had been, or where you have gone, would they really love you? Would they really want you? Could God really use you? He said, who am I? You might have really done the thing. Moses had really murdered the man, buried his body in the sand. But Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is a scripture that if you are not intimately acquainted with it, if you can't recite it off the cuff, you really ought to begin to be able to do so because it says this. It says that where there is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You might have really missed the mark, made the mistake, committed the sin, said the thing, done the thing, but that's the whole point of the gospel. Each of us has sinned and gone astray. Each of us has fallen short of the glory of God, and Jesus came to pay the price. And it's what we see right here that Moses really had messed it up. He had blown it badly, but God was saying, I'm still in the business of using imperfect people to serve a perfect God to accomplish my purposes in your life. He said, who am I? And listen, if you're here today and you are asking yourself that question as you are under the sound of my voice and you're hearing about this God who wants to come alongside and, and call you and send you and, and, and cause you to serve others so that others can hear and know and be saved and be restored and be delivered, I'm telling you that you need to understand the Bible has a lot to say about the answer to that question, who are you? And you ought to do yourself a favor and begin to give more of a credence to what God's word has to say about who you are than what your own mind has to say or what your own family has to say or about what the enemy of your soul has to say. I'm just telling you, what God has to say ought to have more weight. And I, every few months, like to bring this into a message, and I felt like this was a great place to introduce it. If you stay around for very long, you'll hear me use it again. But it's because there's new people who need to understand that the Bible has a lot to say about who you are. And this is just a partial list that I sat down and I began to type out of my spirit from all the things that I had read and pondered and meditated upon over the years. And this is a partial list of who you are in Christ. You are a child of God. You're created in his image on purpose for a purpose. You're the first and not the last. You're the head and not the tail. You are chosen. You are loved. In fact, you're his dearly beloved and the apple of his eye. All these things verbatim from the Bible. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus who gives you every victory. You are blessed when you're coming. You are blessed when you're going. You are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the country. He no longer calls you a servant but a friend. As you trust and obey God, everything, yes, I said everything, that you put your hands to shall prosper. You are an ambassador of the highest kingdom representing the king of all kings. You're a co-heir with Christ, part of the family of God. You will rule and reign with him for all eternity. You are sealed with his spirit, you are called by his name. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. You are God's treasure, God's workmanship, God's masterpiece, a chosen generation, and a royal priesthood. You've been raised to life with Christ and seated in heavenly places. You've been given the mind of Christ, and you are the light of the world. In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing, and you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're an overcomer, and you are victorious. In fact, so victorious that the Bible says you're more than a conqueror. And yes, nothing, not anything, no fear, no darkness, no person, no 
demon, no sickness, no virus, no sword, not even death itself can ever, ever separate you from the love of God that you have experienced in Christ Jesus. Who am I? That's who you are. That's who you are. Who am I that God could use me? That's a partial list. So Moses said, who am I? I'm reading on in verse 12. God responds. And watch what God responds. God doesn't really get into all that. But he says, watch God's response. This is still God's response to fear and doubt, inferiority and insignificance about can God really use you? Who are you that God could use you? Watch what God says, verse 12. He said, God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. He said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Did you know that God is with you? Did you know that Hebrews 13 says that he will never leave you, never forsake you? Did you know that John 14, Jesus said in red letter words that he would ask the Father and he would send another helper, comforter, advocate, and friend known as the Holy Spirit, the parakletos of your soul, to be with you forever, it says, forever. He's with you and he's for you. When you go through the fire, he'll be there. When you go through the waters, he'll be there. When you're on the top of the mountain or going through the valley, he is with you. How would you begin to think and live differently? What would you do and who could you be and become if you really believed that God was for you and with you and he would never leave you or forsake you? Who am I? I'm with you. Who am I? I'm with you. And what I said a second ago bears repeating. What would you do? Who would you be? Who would you become? If you knew that God was with you. Reading on verse 13. Again, just reading some of Moses' story that hopefully can strengthen and encourage us as God's writing your story. And, and he says, Moses says to God, but if I come, and, and, and your translation, if you're reading it, might even use this word, but suppose... I come to the people of Israel and say to them that you've sent me and they ask me, what shall I say to them? Listen, to fulfill the call of God on your life, you are going to have to overcome the what ifs and yeah buts, the supposes of life. Suppose I say yes to opening my heart to love again. Suppose I say yes to becoming a part of a church family again after I got burned. Suppose I say yes to extending the forgiveness to that person and, and how will they treat me and, and will it open the door for them to abuse me or manipulate me and I'm just telling you, to do what God has called you to do, you're going to have to overcome the what ifs and yeah buts. God is going to call you to do some things that require you to live by faith. And faith in the Bible is synonymous with courage. And Moses was no different than you and I, called to do something for God. Right there saying, but God, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, Pastor T. It sounds good. It sounds good. I hear what you're saying, Pastor T. But what if? But what if? And your part is not to worry about the outcome. Our part is to worry about obedience. And on the other side of obedience, there's almost always, there's always, there's always the hand of God and the protection of God, and the provision of God. And so if he's come to you and you know something that you know to do, you know you need to extend forgiveness, you know you need to love again, and today that the Lord would come and he would bring courage to your heart, 
that you're not alone asking what if or suppose I do it. I'm just telling you, God is with you and for you. He won't leave you or forsake you. To fulfill the call of God in your life, you're going to have to overcome the what ifs and yeah buts. Reading on verse 14. Moses has said, what if? And what if they ask me, who is this God? Who sent you? Really? Who, who is this that's with you? And watch what God says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And you know what is interesting and powerful and I think profound about this is that there are many names that God has. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's Jehovah Sidkenu. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's Prince of Peace. He's Mighty One. He's Counselor. He's Messiah, Savior, Comforter. He's Friend. He's all those things and many more things. But in this situation, early in the story, I think he's establishing a precedent for you and I. When he says, Moses is saying, but who is with me? Who shall I say is with me? This is going to be a tall task, a tall order. Who is with me? And he says, I am. And you know what? I think he's establishing the precedent for you and I is to understand that in the story that he's writing in your life, that there are going to be some times where you're going to look up and you're going to say, God, I need forgiveness. God, I need help. God, I need healing. God, I need strength. God, I need faith. God, I need joy. God, I need peace. God, I need courage. And in all those places, you can understand and know and embrace that he is those things. He is your joy. He is your peace. He is your healing. He is your comfort. He is your strength. There's not one thing that you can need that's, he says, every good and perfect thing, every spiritual blessing comes from above. If you need it to accomplish the glory of God and the story of your life he is he said I am he said tell him that I am this journey there's going to be a lot of things you guys as a people are going to need to make it out of bondage and to the promises and he said at every point of the journey every juncture every story every page every chapter every paragraph you just don't forget that I am Turn to the page, Exodus 4. Moses, once again, I mean, can you see how strong the spirit of insignificance, inferiority, shame, guilt, and condemnation is? He once again, Moses has said, he's heard all these things from God, and he once again is doubting. He says, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear? What if? And, and I think it's, it's amazing because I just think that God is just so good. He looks down and he sees maybe that we're struggling or we're doubting or we're fearful. Or he doesn't hold us at arm's length. He doesn't reject us or, or, or cause us to become disqualified. He, he once again right here, he, he could have just said, Moses, come on. Did you hear what I said? I'll never leave you, forsake you. I am all the things that you're going to need. Moses is still wrestling with this. Can God really use me? But watch what the Lord says in this instance. He says, what is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? And, and I think he's still in the business of asking you and I the same thing. What, what is it that's in your hand? Who, who have I made you? Can God really use me? There's, there's a story. There's a testimony. There's a gift. There's a grace. There's a calling. There's an experience. There's a relationship. There's an influence. There's an opportunity. There's a job. There's a wife. There's a husband. There's a, there's a, there's a marriage. There's a family. There's some things he's already entrusted to you that he's saying, who are you to be used of God? If I wanted someone else to be in the story of your life, I could have had them in the story. This is your story, and I've chosen you. And, he's, and, he, and Moses replied, and he said, what's in my hand is a staff. And that's kind of a religious word for just a stick. 
Maybe in that wilderness journey after he had made the mistake and murdered the man, he stumbled across a stick that kind of looked like that would be good for a walking staff. And he picked it up and he whittled it, is what we would say in Texas, and he made it into a staff, but it really was a stick. And he said, what's that in your hand? And he said, I've just got this stick. And, and, and is it even possible, is it even possible that it was the same stick that maybe he had used to murder the man? I don't know, I'm just saying, he, all he had in his hand was a stick. And it says, the Lord said to him, verse 3, throw it on the ground. And it says, Moses threw it on the ground. It represents obedience and surrender and submission. What he's put in your hand, who he's called you to be, what he's given to you, the current relationships and job and, and opportunities and, and gifting and testimony. He's saying, will you, will you take what I've already done in your life, who I've made you, what I've seen you through, as I'm seeing you do some things, and would you be willing to come and would you be willing to throw it down on my feet? And would you be willing to let it get out of the firm white knuckle grip of your own control? And would you be willing to lay it down? And watch what happened. It says Moses threw it to the ground and it became a snake and, and he ran away from it. And, and, and here's what I believe God is speaking to us, that when we take something natural and we are willing to surrender it and submit it, let go of our own control and say, God, I'm releasing and I'm entrusting it to you. He's still in the business of taking something normal and ordinary and doing something supernatural and extraordinary. What is it that you're holding on to today? Something good that God's entrusted to you. Something that today God's saying, why are you holding on to the bitterness or the unforgiveness or the fear or the doubt or the guilt or the shame? Would you throw it down today? What's in your hand? And I was reminded as I'm thinking in that mode of thinking about how David's story was kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus' story. How Moses' story is in some ways a foretelling and a foreshadowing of Jesus coming as a deliverer of his people who are captured in bondage and he's going to lead them out to a good place, a good promise. And I was mindful of the fact that God really is in the business of taking what is in your hand and when it's submitted and surrendered to God, he'll use it for his glory in your story. And do you remember that Jesus, I believe by design and with intentionality, was born into the house of Joseph of Nazareth, who was a carpenter. He had a construction company. And do you remember that Jesus went and he tried to start his ministry at age 12, but remember his mom grabbed him by the ear in the temple and drug him back home, you know, and said, not today, Jesus. And Jesus honored and obeyed and submitted and surrendered to his mom's will. But then you remember that very woman who had drug him by the ear out of the temple and back home, then showed up at the wedding of Canaan and said, now it's your time. They've run out of wine. And Jesus said, it's not my time, but I think his mom must have gave him one of those mom stares or mom glares like you all know you moms can give, you know. And Jesus was like, oh, oh okay, I'll do what I need to be, be done, do what needs to be done here. And he turned the water into wine, do you remember? And it began his ministry. But for the previous 18 years from that time when he was 12 and stepped through his bar mitzvah and became an associate in his father's business, which was the culture of the Hebraic culture, and he'd become a partner in his father's business. And for 18 years, you better believe that what was in his hand was a hammer and some wood and some nails. And when the moment came, God looked down and he said, you've been faithful with what I put in your hand. Some wood, a hammer, and some nails. 
And he said, now with what has been in your hand, if you'll surrender it to me, I'll take it and I'll use some wood and I will build a cross and I'll put a hammer in the hands of a Roman centurion and I'll take the nails and I'll put them in the hands of a Roman centurion and they'll think that they are taking you out and they'll think that they are hindering or holding back the plan and the purpose of God, but I'll take what was in your hand if you'll present it and submit it and surrender it to me and I will use it for my glory and the good of all mankind as I use what's been in your hands, some wood, a hammer, and some nails and I defeat sin, death, and the grave once and for all at the cross of Calvary. Come on, that's good news. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet today. Stand to your feet. And right now, as you're standing, just ask God. Say, God, what are you speaking to me? What are you speaking to me? Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? What are you doing in me? Where are the places where I, I've doubted, I've feared, I've, I've worried, I've been anxious, I, I, I've... I've not believe that you really do love me enough and that your forgiveness really is strong enough that you could really use me, call me to be your hands, your feet, your soul, your light, your messenger, your servant. And right now I just, I felt like this morning that the Lord just highlighted that that's a group of people he really wants to help today. If you're here and you really did make the mistake, Moses murdered the man, come on. I mean, I think it sets a pretty high standard for the mistakes that we can make that God can forgive and redeem us from. <laughs> and you really did the thing. You really said the thing. You really were in the place. You really had the thoughts. You really put your hands, whatever it was. And because of that thing, the enemy has kept you under the wraps of guilt and shame and condemnation. And you continually have been responding to the call of God upon your life with who am I? I really did the thing. And I'm telling you today that what, the, what we read earlier is true and let it resound over you today. There is zero, nada, no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ Jesus, today is the day to no longer let the real regret of your past keep you from saying yes to the present tense call of God upon your life, man of God, upon your life, woman of God. And so right now, every head bowed, every eye closed right now, if that's you, you deal with guilt, shame, and condemnation that holds you back, that keeps you from saying yes to everything Jesus is calling you to do and calling you to be. Right now, I want you to be bold, and I want you to lift your hand before God. And I want you to just present whatever that was. I mean, be real. We're a family today, and there's no judgment. I think at one point in our life, there's no doubt that every one of us could lift our hands to this response. And Lord, I thank you that right now, you're washing over these precious sons and these precious daughters, God. You're reminding them about the power of your blood, the power of the cross, the power of forgiveness, the power of reconciliation, that you no longer, when you look upon us, you don't see the sin, you don't see the regret, you don't see the mistake, you don't see the error, you don't see the mistake, you see the cross of Jesus, and that's how you see us. And so, Lord, we break it off today. Every scheme, every lie, every deception of guilt and shame and condemnation that tries to keep us on the sidelines of the life of faith that you've created and called us and empowered us to. We break it off of our precious brothers and sisters today in the mighty name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that. And right now, just stay in that moment of just receiving. I trust that whatever you said, God, what are you speaking to me? He's speaking something to you. While he's speaking to you, would you allow me the opportunity to give people the opportunity to say yes to God and to say yes to Jesus, his forgiveness, the new life, 
the fresh start that he offers us. And maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus and never experienced what it feels like to have all the guilt and sin and shame removed off of you and paid for completely and totally, comprehensively. Or maybe you're here today and you have drifted from God. You've drifted from God. You've gotten busy, you've gotten preoccupied, you've gotten selfish, whatever it looks like for you. And you're what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. You, you maybe once grew up in church or knew God, even loved God, maybe even served God. But today you realize you're far from God. And if that's you, you're a prodigal son or daughter or you have, you've never said yes to Jesus, right now is your moment. Right now is your moment. If you've drifted from God, the, the, that father in the story of the prodigal son was always looking and watching and anticipating and longing and seeking for that moment, that day when that son would realize the error of his ways and just take one step back towards the father's kingdom and he ran and he embraced him and he welcomed him and he threw a celebration for him and that's what God is looking to do for you. He's not holding you at arm's length because of your sin. He's looking, he's longing, he's calling. Moses looked and saw that God was there in the moment, there in the midst of the difficult chapter. And he turned and he, and, he, and he looked at God. And today, would you turn to God and say yes to him? And so if that's you, you, you've drifted from God or you've never said yes to Jesus, right now is your moment. And right now, do not delay. Here's what we're gonna ask you to do. Lift your hand high towards heaven once again and say, that's me. I need forgiveness. I need a new start. I need a fresh start. I need to come home. I need to come back out of trying to do it in my own strength, and I need to come back to my Father's house. And if that's you in this room, lift your hand. If that's you online, I, I think it's powerfully important you would make a moment to maybe pull off to the side of the road or stand up from your desk or your couch and lift your hand high towards your Heavenly Father because you're responding to Him, not a person. And if you, if you raise your hand, you can lower it now, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer with you. And we do it every week for two reasons. And, and one is we want to come alongside you. We want you to hear. We want you to hear the sound of a family putting our faith and trust in Jesus. And, and the sound of brothers and sisters in the faith that are willing to come alongside you and encourage you forward. And the second reason we do it is because it reminds us, even as God is growing us in our faith, and he is, he's growing us, he's maturing us, he's taking us forward. Come on, we're not just settling, we're not complacent, we're growing in God. But even as we're growing in God, it's all built on the foundation of grace. And it's why we pray this prayer together every week. Come on, let's pray it. Let's pray it with some, maybe some fresh perspective this morning, some fresh passion, some fre fresh conviction. Come on, repeat after me, say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life. I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say it loudly, I will never be the same. And then put your hands together with the angels of heaven and rejoice. Come on, amazing, some amazing people came home to Jesus today. Hey, let's worship God together one more time. Let's worship him together one more time. And then we'll come and dismiss you, get you about your day.